Our top story. Bless you are the man forever and always. We have been hearing so many tributes pour in on the life and legacy of Rush Limbaugh, including former President Trump. We could just talk for three hours, no phone calls, no anything, just talk, and everybody found it spellbinding. And he used to say with half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair for others. You know, it's not an easy thing to do to operate without a net for that long every day for over three decades. Brian Kilmeade knows that. He hasn't been doing it for three decades, Brian, but for three hours and you have guests lined up. Rush did it alone. Only so often would he have calls and every so often guests. I mean, that is really talent on loan from God. Yeah, I mean, he was like nobody else, not because he was the first, because he was the best at it and opened up the whole syndication thing with 600 stations, started off small, had been fired before, uh, no, you know, had famously no Ivy League education, but was able to start small and end up uh, the biggest and hold it uh, for decades. And what I found most engaging about him is that he was engaging with everybody. I mean, when people walked up to him, even when his hearing was bad, he was glued in when people would walk up to him and say, my only problem is when two or three people come up to me, I have, you know, my, with the, uh, with the cochlear implant because he lost all his hearing. He said, I, I can't win it in a crowded room. I have trouble with three or four people. I have trouble, but one-on-one I'm zoned in. And he was zoned in with people, never complained about the situation he was in, but, you know, losing your hearing in our business, which is death. And I think one of the most amazing things about his career is those months when he was losing his hearing and it gradually would go away. He worked out a system where they would instantly uh, transcribe what these callers were saying uh, and get it to him while he's on the air. And people notice a little bit of a pause, but he would get it flat out down. And then we get the cochlear implant, be able to hear it. And um, I last communicated, he called in on election day how much he wanted Trump to win. He talked for about a half hour about what it would mean if he didn't, and he was 100% right about what we're experiencing now with these executive orders. And we went back and forth with him around Christmas, just right after Christmas. And he just said, I'm in a real tough fight here, but, you know, thanks so much for reaching out. And I just thought as successful as he was, he basically looked at himself as a blue-collar guy. What did you learn as a as a host, as someone who is on the radio, on TV, someone who has to connect with people on a human level every day? I got to imagine that hey, this is an industry where we steal things all the time, and we steal uh, the 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 talented gifts that people have and try to make them our own. Is there something that that you've tried to make your own that that Rush kind of implanted in you somehow? Yeah, make and I wrote this to him. It was uh, and I looked back uh, last night, December twenty seventh. I wrote to him. And I just said, I just want to tell you that uh, the most amazing thing I think about you, about everything that you've done, is every show seems like your first and your last. It's Wednesday. uh, You know, we're in the middle of the week. It's Thursday, rather. Uh, It's just one week in the middle of a month, in the middle of a winter. And that show is the most important. Anytime you tuned into them, that show, that segment was the most important. You don't ever phone it in. And he, and I have this book called It's How You Play the Game. I interviewed 92 people about what they learned in sports that helped them out in life. And he told me this story. He was in it. And he told me this story that shaped him. And he said that he uh, went up for the baseball team and he didn't make it. And uh, what he decided to do is play in the football team. But he wanted to be a kicker. He goes, I don't want to run. Coach says, you can't just be one position. No, I don't have this kicker. you got to play another position. He goes, all right. So he played offensive line. And he had to run. And he hated it. 
So what he would do is at the end of every practice, they would run sprints. And on the end of the sprints, they said, you know, after doing a couple, they said, okay, the top three get to go into the locker room. He went from last every single time, top three. By the end of the first week, the coach pulled him aside and said, what are you doing? And he said, uh, why are you winning? Why are you losing everyone and winning when it matters? Because I'm pacing myself. And the coach yelled at him. He said, in life, you can't pace yourself. You go all out every day, every drill, like it's your last. And he said, in his mind, that's how he approaches his show. Hmm. If you can't pace yourself, every day matters. And that's just it. And his callers mattered. He never was shooting, kicking down at him, looking down at him. Uh, they were his backbone. He cared about him. And, and I know that because I, I would talk to him off the air, and that's who came off on the air. So because you knew him off the air so well, is there something that we don't know or something that maybe has been underreported through the years? I mean, as a political host and an opinion host for so many years, he can be a polarizing character. You either love him or maybe you hate him. There probably isn't a middle ground necessarily, but there's an awareness uh, about the individual. And is there something that immediately comes to mind? I heard Hannity talking a lot about the charitable impacts. And we heard it every year, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. I've, I've helped to raise money for them through the years, and he's donated millions to them. But what is there that thing that stands out that helps paint the picture of the human more? Um, I don't – my feeling is this. He's still the guy making 12000 uh, working for the Royals. He, and knows he was having trouble making ends meet and the pressure of making a sale in order to make a living, in his mind, I always felt as though he was trying to prove something every single time, but without being maniacal about it. I always said that's why I don't think he ever got caught up, and this is only a part of reflection, in how famous he was, how successful he was, how much better he was than most people, how he was a pioneer. In the back of his mind, he thought it could end the next day. The other thing I picked up from him is, you know, when you get up in the morning and sometimes you look at the media sites and your name is first and it's controversial, your, your kind of stomach goes, okay, here we go again. Where's this going to go? He did not care. Hmm. He's front page of the New York Times, Barack Obama calling him out. You are the face of the Republican Party and he's got to be stopped. That was 2008. So, yeah I, yeah, I don't know why I did that. He did not care. And I just I get that attitude of you do the best you can. Do not let the media define you. You define yourself by who you are and don't want to get to you, especially because he was in controversy so much time. I thought that was, uh, I thought that's where one of my takeaways were. You know, don't, don't let anything uh, like that bother you. You know what you said, you know what you mean, and you know, and, and you know, uh, and you know you're right. And if you're not, you admit it. 